Thanks, Lindsay. How's everybody doing? Yeah? Awesome. My name is Eric, and uh, welcome you to E3. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. So um, we're going to go to uh, what we call the Lord's Table today. That's communion. It's uh, a gift from God, from Jesus to the church, uh, where we remember his sacrifice and, uh, and what it means for us. And so I'm just going to make uh, some comments today leading us up to that. But there's a few other things going on in that. Uh, we're wrapping up this series that we've been in for a few weeks now called Get Useful. And, and it all started with this idea that uh, there's, a, there's a line in Scripture that calls us vessels for the gospel, containers for the good news uh, that God wants to bring to the world. And, and the whole series was just based on the parts of our lives that if we don't let them, if we don't address them, that they will affect our ability to be a good container. You know, they chip away at us, and sometimes they can just make us uh, leaky, leaky vessels for the good news. So we've looked at things like money. You know, how does money affect our ability to be a good container for the, the gospel? How does uh, the way we use our time, how does the way we use our technology? Last week, uh, Pastor Mark looked at the way our minds can affect our uh, our ability to be messengers and vessels for the gospel. And we also looked at something called bias, you know, the judgments that we bring to the world. Today, we're going to wrap up this series by looking at making our conflict behave. Well, I don't know what that was about, <laughs> but there was a tangible, oh, going on over there. So we've been using, you know, this idea of like, we're going to say goodbye to Clifford, the whatever dog after this week, you know, but Clifford has been the, the time dog, the money dog. He's the conflict dog today. And uh, the whole idea of having him up here was to say, like, these parts of our lives are like untrained uh, puppies, untrained animals. And when we don't train an animal, if, in my house at least, uh, when I have not trained a dog, when I have not trained a puppy, man, that dog wreaks havoc in my house. And so a lot of us have these areas of our lives that we've just never understood. We can train these parts of our lives. We can address these things. Uh, and when we do that, it, it makes us better containers for the gospel. And today we're going to look at what happens when uh, you don't, like, train conflict. Because I don't know if this is going to be a shocker to anybody here, but conflict happens. Am I shocked to, shocked to anybody? A bigger shock, maybe. Conflict happens in the church. I hope that is not really surprising to anybody. Conflict is a part of life, and in fact, if you're in a group of people that is not experiencing com conflict, I would get very suspicious of that group of people, and it's only like half a joke, you know, because um, no community, even a, a spiritual community like E3, is, is bereft of, of conflict. You know, like even if you go to our website and you look at the area that says statement of faith, one of the things that E3 is always held to, I think at the very top of that, it says we believe in a, a, a unity in the essentials about God, but freedom in the non-essentials, which means even about the things that matter the most in life in a community like this, you've got people who disagree. Conflict over things just happen. And whenever you come across a community that's like, no, there's one way to look at things and any other way will not be tolerated. I would say be very, very dubious about that level of control, okay? So we're going to do that. We're going to do that in the context of going to the table. I want to tell you um, one other thing about this, though, this journey today. I, we write these things every week called Going Deepers. They're like Bible studies that extend the conversation from here. 
what this week is going, uh, I've done with that going deeper is a little bit different. I'm going to walk through a little bit more nuts and bolts of specific conflicts in the going deeper. But uh, today, we're not going to get into the nuts and bolts of like how to address specific conflict in your life. I want to keep it really oriented around a big picture of what conflict is and what it is not, uh, especially in light of of the communion uh, table. So um, Lindsay started started us off with this scripture in Corinthians uh, chapter 11, written by a guy named Paul to a church. And he runs through essentially the setup or the, the approach to the communion table where he just says, look, I've passed on to you a specific set of instructions. And it describes this meal that Jesus has. And I've been doing some reading lately with a friend of mine just uh, about some theological issues. And we're going through this book together. And I was reading about communion. And, and uh, the, the, the author really kind of reminded me of the essentials of how we approach communion. There's four things that happen in the movement to the communion table. Four things that Jesus does that the scriptures say that he does. Not just here in Corinthians, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well. And that is simply this. Jesus takes the bread. He pronounces a prayer over it or he blesses the bread. He breaks the bread and then he gives it to his disciples. So there's this fourfold movement that is really essential to understanding what communion is and how we approach it, right? And what I want to do is walk through this in a few different ways. Uh, and so the first thing I would say that like this movement starts with the idea that Jesus takes the bread. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's a significance in the bread, and we're going to talk about the fact that this was something called a Passover meal, but the fact that it's bread says something really important about God and about Jesus, and that is, look, bread is actually made by human hands, right? It's like, what if bread grew out of the ground? Don't even get me started. <laughs> bread is, is made and shaped and baked and, and produced by human effort. And when you're getting into the deep theology, there's something really cool about that, that we bring something from our own hands to God, and he takes it. You know, he, could, he could make or create anything, but he chooses to make uh, an actual product from humanity. Wine is the same way. So he takes the cup. So the things in our world that sometimes are just normal, well, that's just a human thing. Like Jesus actually wants those things. They've, they have value to him. And then he blesses it, and again, he breaks it, and he gives it. Now, uh, one of my favorite authors there's a guy named Henry Nouwen, and he wrote a book called The Life of the Beloved that essentially sets up the idea that this is actually a really, really important thing to understand in our lives as individuals. If we can understand the impact of these four concepts on our lives as individuals, it can really, really free us up for those of us who struggle with, with religion or with our place in the world. And so what Nouwen would say is like, look, do you understand that like Jesus comes and he actually embraces you. He, he actually puts his hand on you. And just like that bread, he's like, I receive you. I receive you. 
You are, you are a child of God that is chosen by him. And do you understand that the first thing that Jesus does when he says, I bless this bread, I thank you, Father, for this bread, he would say the same thing about every single person in this room. That the first word that Jesus has to say to you is a word of blessing. The foundational part of what God says to us as human beings is you are loved and you are a gift to God and to this world. I don't know about you, but there was a long time in my life where that was not at the foundation of my soul. There's a lot of voices out there that would say that, that actually at the foundation of, of what God would say to you is somehow that you're wrong or that God doesn't want you or, or get right before you come to God. No. Jesus takes the bread, the effort of human hands in all of that mundanity, throws something in the oven and bring it. And Jesus says, I, I receive it. And I thank God for it and for you. But then it says he breaks the bread. And that's the flip side of this whole conversation because it's not just a, hey, you're okay and I'm okay and we're all okay and isn't this okay? That there's something about life that is involved with like, we are simultaneously utterly loved by God but very flawed individuals. And I hope I don't have to do a whole lot of convincing of like uh, the fact that there's probably a lot of us in this room where we would say, you know what, actually, um, I want to make good choices all the time, but sometimes I don't. And I don't even know why. Why did I eat the bag of Funyuns? I don't know why. <laughs> why does anybody eat Funyuns? I don't know. There's something in all of our lives, I think, if I had an honest conversation with you and you had an honest conversation with me, you're like, you know what, actually, I want to do the right thing most of the time. But a lot of the times I find myself doing the thing that I really don't want to do. And I don't even know why. So there's this tension that we live in of God says, look, you are utterly blessed. That's the word that God wants you to hear, loved, blessed. But God also wants to say, but you ain't perfect. And the sooner that we understand that, that phenomenon of like, oh my gosh, I am a broken individual, is like that's the, that's the moment that God says, okay, now we're really cooking with gas. That we have to come to the idea of like, I am not perfect, but I'm loved. And the invitation is to get a little bit better. And then the given part, Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, but then he gives it out. And that's the side of us that's saying, like, you are not meant to just be existing with God in this, in this, uh, this unbounded love that he has and, and, and this honest relationship. It doesn't end there. God gives you to the world. He gives you to the world, just like he gave the bread. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. It takes a lifetime maybe to understand that as a human being. But we're going to like cycle back through this when we start talking about conflict. But, but, but before we do that, I want to set the table, literally. I want to examine what's going on at the original communion event. Uh, it was a Passover meal that Jesus was uh, presiding over. And that's where I want to start. The, the idea, with the idea that, that communion is, is a meal. Like a lot of us, if you grew up in church, you're like, oh, that's that thing where we do the cup and the little wafer or whatever you grew up with. 
But it started off as a meal with friends and people sitting around a table, right? And I think that we lose sight of that. We turn it in to this ritual thing, and it is, and it's important. But it also starts off with a pretty everyday thing, gathering around a table. And when you gather around a table, sometimes you invite friends to that table. And your table can be a place of great community. We're talking about conflict today. How many people have had some family conflict at a dinner table? I know I have. The whole communion experience starts with Jesus at a meal. And we get hung up sometimes on these were his disciples and and they spent all this time and they were supposed to be learning from Jesus. But the scriptures also tell us that Jesus one point looks at his disciples and flat out tells them, you are my friends. So Jesus has a meal with his friends who are also his followers. And that means something for our conversation today. Because it doesn't mean that that life is just about life with God. It means like, look, even in the most important parts of our faith, there's other people we got to deal with. There's other people we got to deal with. So it starts with a table, and it starts with friends. And uh, this actually is drawn out in the scriptures that follow what Lindsay read. And I just want to read to you as Paul kind of goes through the rest of this instructions about communion to this church. So starting in verse 27, Paul says, uh, look, this is why those who eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord inappropriately will be guilty of the Lord's body and blood. Now, like, don't freak out about this. This isn't about like, well, how do you, do you have to hold it just right? Or is like something gonna go happen if I don't drink right? Like I would summarize it this way. Paul says, this meal matters. It means something. I love bread, but this is not just bread. Paul's saying, understand the significance of what you're coming to. Sure, it's a meal amongst friends, but it's more than that. So then he just basically unpacks this statement. He said, each individual should test himself or herself and eat from the bread and drink from the cup in that way. You got to decide for yourself if you're here this morning. Those who eat and drink without correctly understanding the body are eating and drinking their own judgment. Now, Jesus says uh, in in the instructions that the bread is his body. But the problem is that Paul also calls the church Jesus' body. So when you read that word, you're like, Paul, what do you mean there? Well, the short answer is we don't know. Paul could say, look, Don't come to this table without understanding the significance of Jesus' broken body, the sacrifice that he made for the world. But he also could be saying, look, don't come to this table without looking at your relationships and how you are doing with those relationships. And if you know the story of God, this is so typical of God that that our faith is meant to be this incredible devotion to God and this, this trust in this higher power, this spirit that leads us on. But then at the same time to say, man, I can't just get this thing right. I gotta get this friendships and relationships right. That sounds just like God. It's the body. Is it Jesus' body or my friends? Yes, yes. And that's where we're here. That's where we're at this morning. 
And Paul says, look, because of this, many of you are weak and sick and quite a few have died. I don't know what that means, so don't ask me. Uh, but if we had judged ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. He's just unpacking this. He look, don't come to this table without thinking about this stuff. When we are disciplined by the Lord, we are judged so that we won't be judged and condemned along with the whole world. And then he really, this is the point. For these reasons, my brothers and sisters, when you get together to eat, wait for each other. If some of you are hungry, go eat at home so that getting together doesn't lead to judgment. And then he says, I'll give you directions about the other things when I come. But real quick, like what was happening is in this church, um, again, this was a meal. It wasn't just a little bread. And what was happening is that people were sitting down and they were like, bread, I love bread. And they were like literally consuming the communion meal before everybody got to the table. And Paul's like, look, if you're hungry, eat at home. That's how, do you think the first church was like perfect? That's how bad it was in that church. So we're sitting here at a meal and I said it's a Passover meal. It remembered uh, the Exodus story of God's people. And uh, sometimes we lose sight and we have to be reminded that Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. And the Passover and the Exodus story was the central story of his faith. But we lose sight of that. I had a scholar and a teacher once in seminary. He says, look, you got to understand, if we have no Passover, if we have no Exodus, we have no faith. Because Jesus' whole enterprise is built on the fact that there's a Jewish people to begin with. And that almost didn't happen because they were enslaved in Egypt. It's a big deal. And so Jesus, uh, is, as a Jew, is remembering the Passover. Now, I want to kind of just like show you, uh, again, this dimension of like devotion to God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love others as yourself. It doesn't start with Jesus. It actually starts in Passover. It starts in the book of Exodus. This is the way the book of Exodus looks, okay? 40 chapters in Exodus. Chapters 1 through 11 is the story of God's people in slavery, and they're in captivity, all right, they cry out to God. Chapters 12 through 15 is what God does to set them free. Anybody ever heard of like the 10 plagues, you know, that, that, that God brings to Egypt to release his people, get Pharaoh to release his people. Chapters 12 through 15. Chapters 16 through 19, they have escaped and they're starting to take their first steps as a people. And chapter 16 through 19 is kind of like having a middle school child. Like, they're grumbling a lot. There's not enough food here. We need water, God. Why do you hate us? Yes, it's that bad. Exodus 20, we get to the Ten Commandments. Everybody heard of the Ten Commandments? The Ten Words, the Decalogue, verses 1 through 21. And this is where it gets interesting. The first five commandments are about your relationship with God. You know what the second five are? Your relationship with people. Even the most basic instructions that God gives his people right off the bat says, no, no, no. This is this way and this way. And then uh, they give some instructions on worship, which I think is really, really interesting. Because you see the flow here, which we'll kind of like unpack in a little bit. Like it's, it's freedom, then here's some basic rules for living, and now worship. Here's how you worship. And then right after that, God's like, I know people. I know humans, we better spend some more time unpacking dealing with other people. So for the next three chapters, dealing with other people, 
don't take your neighbor's cow, you know, like, and we laugh, but this is the way you live in community. Don't envy your neighbor. On and on and on and on and on. And then uh, once you get to Exodus 25, basically the rest of the book just unpacks this in, in, in more detail. What it's like to live with God and what it's like to live with other people. And now, like, look at this flow. If we take out the chapters, I just think this is so cool because I think this is my life. Like, there was a time when I just felt like I was captive. I was enslaved. And then God set me free. Long before I was worthy of being set free. That's grace. He just does it. And then I start to take first steps and I grumble. God's not enough to eat here. God says, here's some basic rules for living. Look, you know, don't kill, don't murder. Honor your father and mother. Basic stuff. Don't steal. And then worship. And then dealing with other people. But my point is, from the very beginning and the essential foundational part of God's story, it is about this, God and people, and people with people. It's never meant to be separated, and it's never been separated. And so uh, the Jewish folks, the Jewish people, they understand this, and they unpack it, and they teach it, and they teach it, and they learn, and they, 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 they uh, infuse the law with more description to, to try to help people um, but it's, it's hard because they're trying to like unpack, look, look, human beings are crazy. You need a lot of laws sometimes to deal with human beings. But there's also people that come along and they're like, man, I'll sum this thing up for you. And one of the greatest rabbis in Judaism is a guy named Hillel, Hillel the Elder. That's him. White bushy beard. He looks like an elder, doesn't he? Um. He lived about 110 B.C. to 10 B.C., so just before Jesus' ministry, okay? Here's what Hillel said about the law. He said, what is hateful to you, hey, don't do that to other people. What is hateful to you, don't do to other people. The rest is explanation. Now just go. That's how he summed up the whole thing. What is hateful to another person, just don't do that. Now, if you know any stories about Jesus, you would actually, man, that sounds actually a lot like Jesus' words. The golden rule, we know it. Don't do, other, don't, you know, don't do unto others as you would not want them to do unto you. And he says it uh, later on, you know, in, uh, in Mark, he says, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. That's it. And when you do that, by the way, you see that like Jesus is just kind of Right in the flow of his Jewish teaching. You know, a lot of guys, they like, look, look where Hillel started, and then they look at where Jesus ended up, and they're like, man, Jesus is just continuing this, this thread. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as yourself. It's that simple. So it's a Passover meal. Passover remembering not just God setting us free to love him and worship him, but actually setting us free to be a people together. But when you're a people, conflict happens. It just does. So what I want to do is actually go back to that fourfold explanation. Remember, takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks it, and gives it. What does this look like for our relational world? So a couple thoughts. Um, Our relational world is present to God. 
You see, in just the same way that that bread is a result of human hands and human effort, guess what? Your relationships are a result of human effort for better and for worse. But it all comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't say only, only bring the holy parts of your life, only bring the, quote, spiritual parts of your life. Give me that mundane stuff too because it needs fixing. Your relational world is wholly present to Jesus. Sometimes we wish we could like tuck it away in a closet. It doesn't work that way. All right? Blessed. Blessed. I don't know if you're ready for this or not, but every human being, including the ones you have conflict with, bear the image of God. There is not a human being on this planet that does not bear God's image, just like you. And when we have conflict with people, maybe it's just me, but anybody ever have conflict with somebody and, and what you find is that, well, the attitude is actually, I'm a little bit more blessed than that person. Or I got the good parts of God's image. They got some other part of God's image, probably out of, you know, the angry God parts of the Bible. Every single human being, even the ones you have conflict with, bears the image of God, just like you. Whether you lose sight of that or not doesn't change the fact that it's true. Now, but that brings us to the broken part. All of our relationships will experience conflict because every single human being is also broken, uh, just like you. Just like you. And so our, our life on this planet is going to be, uh, exist with some level of conflict. It just is going to happen. But we can't separate those two middle statements because once a lot of us just go, look, as soon as conflict happens, well, that's a bad person. And I'm a good person. And if, I, and if I'm around people who I don't have conflict with, well, those are the more good people, so I'll just hang around them more. It's much more tense than that, and i sorry to be the bearer of bad news. It's much more messy than that. Everybody is made in the image of God. Doesn't mean that they've, that, that they've embraced that image, but they're all made in the image of God but they're all broken. So you're gonna have it. It's gonna happen. The last part is given. <laughs> I just wanna throw this out there. The way we deal with this is what people look at to see like, what's this church thing all about? What's this kingdom of God thing all about? This is sobering for me. I don't, I don't do conflict all that well. But if Jesus says, look, I take this bread, I bless it, I break it, and then I give it to my disciples, it's the same thing with our friendships and same things with our lives. They are, they are not uh, walled off from God, and they exist with people who are immersed in God's love, made in his image, but broken and flawed. And then he's, God says, look, look, what you do with that fact is a gift to the world. Make sure it's a good gift. I think that we lose sight of that and we don't want to uh, wrap our heads around it. And a lot of us just like me just don't do this well. I know for me, like there's been times in my life and sometimes I'll be really honest here. There's some times in my life where I get kind of up to here with the conflict thing and then I'm just out. I'm out. I just, I don't want to be around this person. 
because they've kind of like tripped through the conflict wire. Now hear me really clearly here. Boundaries are good. You guys might have people in your lives that is just toxic to be around. That's a different topic. It's a different topic. Conflict in itself is not a message of like, oh, you need to run away. Boundaries are appropriate, but how we deal with that conflict with each other is a message to the world and to each other. Like, who is God and what's he doing? So this is, the, this is how this filters through uh, this take and bless, broken and give us out. It's filtered through a conflict thing, a relational thing. And now before we kind of wrap up, I want to go back to the table. I want to go back to this room. And I want to look at Jesus' world and how he gets to this table. If you know the story, like this happens at the end of Jesus' life. You know, he has about a three-year ministry. And he's sitting down, right, with his friends and his disciples, including these, these guys he calls the 12. They're really important. And inside the 12, he's got the three. Peter, James, and John are their names. And they're like, they're like the, I don't know, they're like the top of the class or something. He focuses a lot of attention on them. But he doesn't come to this table without conflict with those people, with those friends. They bring conflict and potential resentment to this table. And it's just there in the story. Jesus' life, like at one point his family looks at him and they go, he's crazy. He's like preaching and they're telling other people who are trying to listen to him, he's crazy, don't listen to him. Jesus experiences that level of rejection. Peter, the lead disciple, he comes into this room with Jesus to sit down and have this meal. And yet when Jesus finally says, let me tell you exactly who I am and what my agenda is in the world, Peter's like, oh, you are you're wrong, Jesus. Fundamental misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And I thought about this this morning. I don't know how many teachers we, I know we have some teachers in, in our class uh, or in this, uh, in this community. Like if you were a teacher and you had a star pupil that scored not just an F, but a zero on the test, wouldn't you go, where did I go wrong? Like if you have a star pupil, you're like, this is, man, this is everything. And you give them a test and like, I got nothing right. You might go, was something wrong with the way I taught? That's what, it, that's what happens when Peter just goes, I got a zero on the, on the Jesus test. And he's sitting at this, at this table with Jesus. That happens before the table. Before the table, James and John, they're like, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. Jesus is like, lay it on me. They're like, hey, um, can we be like the first? Can we be uh, in charge of the, of the kingdom? And Jesus, I have to believe, is like, a, oh, my gosh. And then he tells them, no, no, guys, you got to understand, like in this kingdom, the first are going to be last, the last are going to be first. And they're like, oh, great. And then another instance, like some, some of his disciples go, oh, hey, um, when your kingdom comes, can I sit at the right hand? Can I sit in the place of honor? And Jesus is like, what part of this are you not getting? The first will be last, the last will be first. That's what comes into the room. That's what comes to the table. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Around this table, look, we're here together. And just so you know the story, right? Around this table, you know, is the guy that betrays Jesus. 
table full of friends, a table full of people who have been living closely together for three years, and his betrayer is there with him. And do you think Jesus got to Judas and was like, oh, no communion for you? That's not in the scriptures. I think Jesus said, no, no, this is my body, and it's for you too. This table uh, does not mean that there's an absence of communion or, or, or conflict or even relation uh, resentment, re- relational resentment. It just means that you choose to look above it. And Jesus is like, there's something more going on here. So, a couple questions. Um, here's the first question. Whose table have you been invited to? And I don't mean this like literally. I mean, it's, it's both, right? Like, like, who have you broken bread with, man? And, and, and it's been good. But in a symbolic sense, like, who, who has made room for you in, in, uh, in, your, in their lives? Who has invited you in? And it doesn't mean you haven't had conflict, but they've made space for you. You know what? What would it look like to just say thank you? Are you grateful? Just like shoot a text or write a note or, or grab something. Man, you made room for me at your table. And we, made, we haven't always agreed, but you made room for me. Can I just say thank you? Can I say thank you? Whose table have you been invited to? Okay, that was the easy question. Next question. Who's not at your table? Like maybe they've been there and you've just stopped. You're like, I don't know about that person anymore. Because they've tripped a wire, right? And, and, and just no more. What's holding you back from making room for that person? You know, is it political? Is it, is it life choices? Is it they've said something that just offended you? Whatever. Like what is it? Who's not at your table? Who are you not making room for? Because Jesus, like, he had a long, potential long list of resentments with these disciples that bumbled and stumbled and got it wrong. And he just said, no, 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 come here, share this meal. Doesn't mean we don't have conflict. This is there's something else that's bigger going on. And then again, this is the big one. Are you like, oh, I'll invite them to the table when they get their life right? Because guess what? The disciples weren't right yet. Judas walks out of there and betrays him. Peter walks out of there and in flat out a short number of hours later, people are like, oh, we know you, Peter. You were with that Jesus guy. And what does Peter say? "Uh Uh-uh, wasn't me. I don't even know that guy. I don't even know that. Jesus probably didn't hear those words. How do you think that it would have hit Jesus? Do you think his heart didn't break occasionally? I think his heart broke, but his faith carried him through. Don't wait for people to get right to make room. And then the last question, whose table have you left? Because some of us were, were in people's lives and they made space for us. And then again, something happened and we just walked out. We're like, I'm not going to get to that table anymore. And what would it look like for you to come back to that table? Well, let me tell you, it looks like a little bit of humility. But faith is not this thing, this black and white thing all the time. Like in the same way that the folks who have the table, they can't wait for you to get right. You don't need to wait for them to give the invitation. Sometimes we need to take a hard look at our life and go, you know what? 
I need to embrace a little humility and understand that that person made room for me and I walked out. And maybe I'm not right. Uh, I'll pick on, I'm going to pick on the, the Christians for a little while. Uh, you see, church folk, we love to plant flags on hills and die on hills that we have no business dying on. We, we love to draw a line in the sand and go, this thing, this is the issue that I am going to die on. And I think Jesus constantly comes to the church over and over again for 2,000 years and goes, why are you so invested in this issue that's going to go away when a human being is going to live for eternity? And he constantly comes to the church. He constantly comes to me and goes, that hill ain't worth dying, dying for. That hill's not worth it. Why are you so bound up in this issue? Because Jesus is like, I've seen it. I've seen when my disciples did not get it right. I've seen it when I could have said, Peter, you're not making any sense. Get out of here. You can't sit here with me. But Jesus said, no, no, come on, come on. I get it. I'll get it. So, like what hills have you died on that you might need to go back to somebody and go, um, just so you know, uh, I'm going to allow for the chance that I might be wrong or if I'm not wrong, maybe I'll just shut up about it for a little while. Because relationship is more important. I'm done picking on the Christians. Again, Jesus sits around a table with his friends who've had conflict. And the scriptures say, that he takes the bread, he takes the things that, that are the results of human efforts and he blesses the bread and he says, thank you, God, for the good things you give me and the thanks for the good people you give me. And then he breaks it because sometimes things have to be broken before they can be really used. And then he gives it to his disciples and says, take this, it's my body. And it's given for you. And then the scriptures say that after supper, he takes the cup. And when he had given thanks again, he says, take this and drink, for this is my blood. In the new covenant that says God will never again abandon his people. Take it and drink. And that's the meal we're celebrating today. And it's a meal in a community that experienced conflict but said we can still come together because of Jesus. And it doesn't mean the conflict goes away. It just means that we deal with it slightly differently, which means we surrender a lot of our right to be right. Uh, this week, as I was thinking about today, uh, I stumbled across uh, this Irish uh, proverb, this Irish saying. Um, there's two translations of it. But the, 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 the saying is simply this, that uh, it is in the shelter of each other that the people live. And the alternative translation is like, we live in each other's shadow. And what that means to me is like, we need to remember that like, look, we don't exist on our own. It, when we have conflict, we can't just run away and then pretend, well, I'm just gonna go be by myself 
and do this God thing. No, no, no. We're missing. We're missing other people. And life is actually exists in each other's shadow. It's in the shelter of each other that people live. We need other people. When the conflict happens, no surprise. That's what human beings do. But there's bigger issues at stake. So here's what we're going to do. There's a song uh, that was written a few years back um, that's actually based on this uh, proverb, that's based on this saying. And I just thought it'd be cool, before we go to the table, uh, to sing it kind of together. And I want to do it in a particular way. Um, in a lot of musical traditions, um, there's something called call and response, where like there'll be a, 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 you know, a singer and he'll sing a line, and then eventually people will sing back. And, and that's why I think this song works. Uh, so I'm going to sing the verses. And the verses are like an invitation and a blessing to you. And they're beautiful lines about how we need each other to rejoice and sometimes and to, to, to cry sometimes. And then when we get to the, uh, when we get to the choruses, uh, Julie May and Lori and, and Mark and Junie, they're going to, to sing the chorus as a course, it's in the shelter of each other, we will live, we will live. <laughs>